Today's scripture reading comes from the books of Matthew and Mark. First Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then from Matthew. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth about a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andy, for reading our scripture this morning. Today we continue our sermon series on stewardship. As Jesus invites us to name what we treasure most in our hearts. Last week we talked about gratitude. Today we talk about money and our relationship to it. Would you pray with me? God of love and God of grace. We bow before you this morning in our hearts, in our minds. We bow before you and are reminded again that you are Lord of our lives. And so it is that out of gratitude for all that you are, we offer ourselves to you. What we say and what we do and how we interact with each other. Lord, may we honor you with all of it. And may the words of our mouths and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our refuge, and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I was visiting a friend years ago, and she was walking me around the house showing me her cherished treasures, an antique trunk, a family plate, framed artwork, and uh, this beautiful handmade bookcase. As I was looking at these items, I noticed something odd about each one of them. There was a label on the side, a name on each item that she showed me, Lynn, Jim, Tanya, Marcus. It had been typed out on a label maker and attached to the side of each one. My friend is wonderfully quirky, but this was a new twist. So I asked her, when did you start naming the furniture? She laughed. She said, well, Emily, whenever I go decades from now, I want my family to know what items I want them to have. So I went ahead and stuck their names on it. She said, it's a lot cheaper than writing a will. (laughs) My friend might be on to something, though I doubt that it is legal advice. But she told me there was a shift in her mind after she'd done that. That after she'd gone around the house and placed labels on all of these items, she'd already started to think of them as belonging to someone else. She said that bookcase in her mind was already Marcus's, 
And so she was taking really good care of it now for him. What my crazy friend was doing, in a way, is a biblical model of stewardship. Because what we have is not really ours, is it? Really? We are called to be stewards of what is ultimately God's. The concept of being a steward and stewardship are things we don't often talk about outside of church. So it might sound a bit strange. What does it mean to be a steward? A steward, according to the new Oxford American Dictionary, is a person employed to manage another's property, to take good care of and look after something that belongs to someone else. The biblical understanding of a steward goes back as early as Genesis in which we are named as vice regents of creation. It's the same concept, the idea of a steward. We manage, tend, and look after on God's behalf all that God has entrusted to us, which includes the earth and children and jobs and families and property and money and we are stewards of all of it on God's behalf. So here's a thought. What if we borrowed my friend's idea and her label maker and made these labels that said gift of God or belongs to God and went around everywhere and affixed them on our homes, our vehicles, on creation, on our pets, on the oceans, on the rivers, on our calendars, on our bank statements, our pension plans, on our credit cards, our shorelines. What kind of change would it make to think of those as belonging to God and we are caretakers in the meantime, taking care of it for God in the decades while we are here? I wonder how that might change how we treat all of it how we take care of one another, how we take care of creation. I wonder. I wonder if we own things without being owned by them or if it might help to break that unhealthy hold that money can have over us and how our lives can get sometimes so wrapped up in that material stuff that somewhere along the line we begin to worship that too. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. It's not one of the passages we read today, but it's an important passage when we talk about stewardship. So I want to lift it up. It says that money is not the problem. It's our relationship with money that is the concern. The love of money, the passage says, is the root of all kinds of trouble. I've known people consumed by money who had a lot of it. And I've known people consumed by money who had almost none. What's our relationship with money? How we feel about it? We don't like to talk about it. I know I don't. Money is useful. It's a tool. And it comes with temptations and problems and frustrations. It tests us. It tests our priorities and needs and wants. Some folks do whatever they can to have more, even if it's illegal. Some waste it. Some struggle with it. Some work hard to budget and plan ahead. Some hoard it. Some share it. Some manage it wisely, compassionately. 
Maybe we hate it, love it, dream about it. Some try to manipulate others with it by giving it or withholding it to get what they want. Our relationship with money impacts all our relationships with God and with others. I imagine we all know friendships that have fallen apart over it, not to mention families, marriages, systems, and nations. Why do we let something like money hold such power and place that it was not meant to have? I wonder. Jesus has a lot to say about money. In fact, he talks about it almost as much as he talks about love. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, which Andy read for us today, Jesus questions the place that we give money in our priorities. In this verse, taken from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks whom or what we serve in our lives with our calendars and our checkbooks and it all. Is it God? Money? Possessions? Jesus says we can only truly serve one. A writer writing during the time that gospel was written, said that wealth, even without its own altar, is the most honored God among the Romans. The same is still true 2,000 years later. When we give money such a high place in our priorities, we end up with a divided heart. So here's a question. What place do we give money in our lives and hearts? How do we feel about it? People will tell you we can look at our bank statements and calendars to find out. In this verse, though, it's like Jesus is offering us a label maker and handing it to us that we could make a label that says God and just put it right on our heads or on our hearts to mark that all of who we are falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A second scripture from Jesus today comes from Mark chapter 12, in which Jesus and the disciples are watching persons give money to the temple. Some are wealthy and give large sums. One is a widow and gives very little. Jesus contrasts their gifts in a way we might not expect. The large one, he says, comes out of excess. The smallest, he says, is a sacrifice. The widow offers two copper coins, which was the smallest unit of currency in circulation at the time, worth about 164th of a laborer's daily wage. The actual value of the widow's gift was a few cents. Jesus says she put in all she had to live on, which in Greek means literally her whole life. It's a challenging story. On one hand, it's a caution against judging the size of any person's gift. While one may give a little and another may give a lot, it's never our place to judge that because we have no idea the context behind someone else's gift. It's never about the amount. It's about our hearts. On the other hand, It's hard to imagine following the example of this woman, this incredible woman giving her entire livelihood to the church. What about families and rent and mortgage and utilities and all of our bills, to say the least? It's an incredibly 
humbling story and an incredibly sacrificial gift which foreshadows Jesus about to give his all and his life for every one of us. Interpreters suggest thinking of her gift as a symbol of giving our entire lives to God, all that we are, what we say, what we do, who we are, how we act. Last year, I suggested in a sermon around this time of year that when the offering basket comes around, we could just sit in it, symbolizing that all that we are is given to the Lord. That's what this widow does. She essentially puts her whole self in the temple treasury, giving her being, her time, and her talent to God. What a story. In Scripture, when it comes to time and money, the bottom line is that we honor God in what we do with it and how we live and put God first in it all in ways that reflect God's love for this world. Scripture lifts up the model of a tithe, which is 10% of someone's income. It's something we can work up to wherever we are now and offer what we can to God. And i am be honest with you, I wish I could tell you I'm a wonderful example of tithing, but I'm not. I've been tithing for many years, but it hasn't always been that way. When I got my first real job out of college, my first full-time job, I started out tithing. It was the way I was raised. It mattered as a disciple. It was so important to me. And then life happened. And student loans were due. And my rent went up. And the car transmission died. And then there were repairs that I needed. And slowly, tithing fell farther down the list of priorities. I was still giving to the church, but it was nowhere near a tithe. And I wish I could tell you that I decided to trust God with it all and I decided to worry instead. And I wish I could tell you that I'd adjusted my budget so that I could continue to tithe, but that's not what happened either. I got worried about all those bills and paying them for the first time in my life all by myself. But I'm thankful for the struggle that stayed in my heart because God would not let that go. And helped me again to gradually work toward tithing once more. It became this spiritual discipline and commitment for me for years in budgeting to be able to work back to a tithe again. And that gave me peace of mind. Tithing helps me remember that what I am here to manage isn't mine to begin with. Like seeing God's name from that label maker on all of my life. John Wesley, one of the unlikely, we might say, founders of the Methodist Church, had a struggle in his relationship with money, too. And in 1731, he had an experience that changed him for the rest of his life. It was a very cold day, perhaps not unlike early this morning. And he had bought pictures to hang up in his room at Oxford, where he was teaching at the time. And later that day, he came across someone wearing a very thin dress on that cold day, and he asked her if she had a coat. She said she couldn't afford one, and he reached in his pocket to give her money to buy a coat, and he didn't have enough there to give her. And he said he felt that God was not pleased with how he had spent his money that day buying those decorations. And he went home and wrote in his journal, Will my master say, 
Well done, good and faithful steward. And it's old English. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this person from the cold. He decided that day that he wanted his wants to be tempered by others' needs. And he decided that he would continue for the rest of his life living on what he was making then. And as his salary increased, he would just give the rest away. Far more than a tithe. I don't know many people who would do that. Wesley wrote, what would rise is not the Christian standard of living, but his standard of giving. End quote. It's an incredible example of someone like that widow who offered life to God. What about our relationship to money? The place we give it in our lives and hearts? How are we doing with that? You need to know pastors don't like to talk about these things. Chris didn't like to talk about it either. He said, I'm right there with him. But what are some practical ideas for us when it comes to growing in stewardship as a disciple? I'd like to offer two things, to pray and to give. Number one, pray. Pray about personal and family budgets. Lift them to God. Lay them out on the table and pray, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to live? What do you want for our hearts and finances and gifts? And number two, give in healthy, faith-driven ways, whatever you can. Giving helps to break that hold that money can have over us, any amount. We can tithe 10% or whatever percent we can and grow. Giving changes us and lightens our hearts. Where do we start if we've never done this before? Well, we simply do. We just start wherever we are, and I'll tell you a story. Years ago, I remember a gentleman uh, who went with me on a mission trip at a church where I served previously. And some weeks after that trip, he came over to me and he said, Pastor Emily, Jesus is irritating. And I said, what in the world do you mean? (laughs) And he said, you know, for so many years, I go out for lunch. I go grab some fast food or something. And ever since we got back from that mission trip, every time I do, I cannot stop seeing the faces of the people we met who did not have enough to eat. He said, so what I started doing this week was making my own lunch and taking it with me. And that money that I would have spent on eating out, I'm setting it aside. And I'm going to give it to the church to help somebody else in need. But I really wish Jesus would stop working on me because I miss my fries and soft drinks. (laughs) So you can tell Jesus to let up. (laughs) What an incredible thing. Every gift makes a difference. And uh, I want to put on a different hat for a minute that I need to do on behalf of the finance committee. Um, You know that, as we've said, preachers don't like talking about money, but what I do love talking about is the impact that it makes. But I need to tell you first about a challenge that we're having, that because of years of COVID and now inflation and other challenges, the church is behind these days, and it has been for several years, and we've cut 
the budget, but we're expecting a deficit again this year, and we just needed people to know. What I do like talking about, as I said, is the difference that your giving makes in ministry. Um, Your giving impacts all of it, from worship to electric bills to repairing the roof to communion bread and our student ministries with Axis and TNT and Kids Rock Sunday School and our counseling services and our dedicated, incredible staff and kids care and streaming worship and online services and all of it. Like Hank DeAger shared last week when he spoke from the Finance Committee, together we make a huge impact. Like Chris Ingle writes story this morning about the student going around from table to gable. Together, we can make an incredible impact and watch what God will do. We've been uh, talking to some church members who... Uh, who give, and we asked one of them, a couple of them, why they do that and what it means to them. We want you to hear what they had to say. Check this video out. So how does giving to the church make you feel when you see God at work in our church and in our community? Giving to the church makes my heart so happy and full of joy and just exploding. Um, I compare it to shopping for a birthday gift or a Christmas gift and just the act of giving and watching someone open the gift is just so exciting and 1,000 times magnified when I give to the church. Like like the joy you feel when you know you've picked out the right gift for someone and and you feel so, makes you feel like you've done something so wonderful when you see the joy of somebody opening a gift that you've picked out for them. And to be able to see that same kind of feeling, have that same kind of feeling when we take what God has given us and give it back into the community, into our church, and see Him at work and magnifying our gifts. It just, the, you know that, that what you're doing is having an impact on our world and our community. Exactly. It's such a great feeling to know that we are able to make a difference with even uh, the small portion that we give, um, that it's just wonderful seeing um, that in action in our church and around us. Thank you to them for sharing their story. And so it is that we do this together, right? We do this together for the joy that it brings. And do we have stewardship all figured out? Well, I certainly don't. And is Jesus still working on us? Yes. And can work on us together. As Chris mentioned, we mailed out uh, these giving cards and volunteer opportunities this past week here from the church. And you can fill them out, bring them in. November 13th, we're going to celebrate them together. You can bring it to worship with you that day, or you can fill it out and submit it online. That's an option, too. We are in this together as we seek to find out how God will use us and use our gifts to impact each one of us and our church and this incredible community in which we are blessed to live. doesn't belong to us anyway, does it? I can see that label on it that tells me that it's God's. Amen.